Another Way to Play, episode 87. You really have to spend a lot of time up front thinking about why you exist and like not surface level to make money, but why does the company truly, truly exist and what do you value as an organization? Hey everyone, this is Ryan Kuhn, co-founder and CEO of Avail. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should definitely be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Ryan Kuhn. He's the co-founder and CEO of Avail, a platform that improves the rental experience for do-it-yourself landlords and renters. At Avail, Ryan focuses on company strategy, hiring and developing new partnerships. And prior to co-founding in 2015, he was an investment baker at BMO Capital Markets, performing mergers and acquisitions and equity capital market transactions for a financial services firm. In this one, guys, we talk about Ryan's transition out of college into the private equity world and then how he got started in real estate investing and how he turned that um, not only into a side project, but obviously into his full-time business, which he has scaled and grown over the last nine years. He really paints an interesting picture of him standing on a bus on a Friday morning, heading into work in a suit in Chicago basically getting a call from his boss saying that, hey, I know you're supposed to go to Colorado and go have a little vacation with your friends, but we really need you to stay here over the weekend because a client needs some work done, so you're going to have to stay. That moment transitioned him into thinking, how can I go out and really get a little bit more control over my life and pursue happiness in a different way? And six months later, he put in his notice um, with his boss and away he went to co-found the company that he's been scaling ever since. We get also into a lot of things about building a core ethos, hiring best practices, management practices, as well as um, some branding and marketing and some of the things they're doing specifically to bring added value to their clients in the COVID era. So all things you're definitely going to want to listen up for because Ryan really has a lot of great thoughts and great insight to bring. If you get value out of this show or any of the others that I put out, please consider heading over to iTunes, leave a written rating and review because it really helps me not only grow with the algorithm boost, but obviously gives me tons of feedback. I read all those reviews uh, and try and implement all the changes that you guys suggest. So thanks in advance for all of that. And without any further ado, let's just get into it here with my friend, Ryan Kuhn. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
It's my pleasure. Well, you know, we've talked a little bit about your background in the intro. So before we get into what you're doing today, though, let's talk about the context where your journey began. Let's build a little bit of that for the audience and, and tell them where you really started. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, my background and everything, I grew up in a family that had small businesses. And so have had that entrepreneurial gene all along. During high school and middle school, I was the kid hustling baseball cards and buying and selling, trading baseball cards, selling those on eBay, trying to make a quick buck. Ended up going to school, going to college for accounting and finance. Mm -hmm. So while in undergrad, also ran a small kind of painting business, painting houses during the summer. So continued doing the whole entrepreneur thing. Studied accounting and finance. I figured good to get kind of those foundational areas, foundational knowledge. Um, ended up graduating from college in 07. So right before everything fell apart, right before mm -hmm. the great, great recession and was working for a large investment bank. Uh, did that for about three and a half years. So was working the like crazy 80, 90, 100 hour a week or uh, 80, 90, 100 hour per week work weeks. Um, wow. That's kind that's of a tongue a, twister. A tongue twister on that one. Yeah, it, yeah. Probably, it probably gave you a little PTSD even just saying it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and continued, I mean, during that time, uh, was always looking at different businesses to invest in or to partner with and ended up really falling in love with technology during that time period and uh, had invested in some rental properties and so that took me to discover the need for what the business is that I'm running now, which is Avail. Mm -hmm. Man, so you did what most people would consider maybe a more traditional route in the beginning. Like you went to college, you got the like the typical accounting finance knowledge and you went to an investment bank. Like that's kind of the a track that I think a lot of people figure that they'll go, which is, you know, get a, a really solid, you know, degree, go work your butt off for the first three, five, 10 years, and then hopefully get an advanced place, you know, advancement in the company and move up and maybe get a promotion and all that fun stuff, but then enter real estate and then ultimately uh, real estate investing. And, and that obviously took you in a little bit of a different direction. Can you tell us a little bit about that moment when you first started getting into the, the real estate investing, because it sounds like that's where the story takes a bit of a turn. Yeah, for sure. So um, about, what, 10, 11, 12 years ago, unfortunately, the country went through the Great Recession. Real estate prices dropped dramatically across the country, but out in the Chicagoland area, it was pretty hard hit. And so fortunately, I was able to hang on to my full-time job um, had been able to save a little bit of capital and then really started just investing in passive income producing properties. Um, mm -hmm. Really saw that as an opportunity. So did that for a couple of years, bought a few single family homes, really, again, just to build that passive income, try and build wealth. And then it was really through managing those rental properties with spreadsheets and pen and paper and paper checks, text messages, smoke signals, and whatnot, that I came to understand the need for technology in that space, which is what brought me to where I am today. And you said earlier that you had, out of the investment bank, like an interest in technology. So you clearly kind of came to this intersection of personal investment and technology because 
as a small landlord myself, and you obviously can definitely relate to this, like the challenges of running two, four, 10 units, you know, by yourself, it's almost like a part-time job at minimum. And if you don't have systems or processes, you just get buried in like little $50 receipts. Like it's totally insane. Yeah, it's nuts. It's, um, I mean, I think all of us, especially now, are accustomed to using things like Uber to get around or Grubhub to order your dinner or, I mean, any of these other apps or Dropbox or Gmail that, that just make our lives so much easier. And it was really that moment nine or 10 years ago when I was juggling a full-time job. I was running around trying to kind of keep my job and grow and advance and my career while also managing these single family homes. And that's where I really started thinking, you know, there's got to be technology to help automate and simplify and streamline a lot of this. It's just backing up just a little bit to build a little bit more. Like you said, you kept your job, you had some savings and obviously the great recession, you were right in the midst of it. Yep. Pretty great time to be a real estate investor if you knew what you were doing, or at least you thought you knew what you were doing. Maybe you were learning. And I'd say in retrospect, most people wish they would have bought something. But can you talk about your buying process and then how you underwrote and just kind of that journey real quick, just to give the context? Yeah, of course. And so um, I think what was unique then is the prices had come down so much so that there was actually a greater margin of error. So that Mm -hmm. as a first time investor, maybe didn't do things perfectly, but because the prices had reset so much, there was that buffer there. I think for me personally, I had always been interested in real estate. When you look across the country, the wealthiest individuals, they're always the ones who are investing in income producing assets. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was one of the books I read pretty early, probably in high school and stuff. And so always had that interest. Then while in college, studying accounting and finance had happened to take a bunch of real estate finance classes. Mm -hmm. And there was a professor down at U of I, uh, Professor Rushing, who taught real estate investments. He also happened to personally own about half the apartments on campus. So he was really kind of sharing what what worked for him. And so, yeah, back when I finally did have the income and uh, capital and savings to start investing, really started looking for just deals that would make sense on paper. And then you go out, kick the tires, make sure the place had been maintained. And that was kind of my journey. Absolutely. Can you tell us real quick about your very first real estate deal and what it was like and you know what it was and what you did with it? Yeah, it's a, a single family home up about 50 miles north of Chicago, almost up on the Wisconsin border. I mean, real close there, uh, maybe a mile south of the border, small single family home that had bought it along with family member. It was really just a, let's, let's do this. Let's dip our toe in the water and, and see yeah. if it works. Held it for four or five years and, and then sold it. It was a good property. So fast forward a couple of years, you're, you've built a bit of portfolio. You've got single families and maybe some others under your belt. You're gaining some confidence and now you're recognizing that, wait a second, like the spreadsheet and all these text messages and these physical paper receipts that these handymen are giving me, it's like, this is just total madness. And, you know, 
I need a better way. So is that when you, you decided to create a veil or, or was there some other stuff in between? Yeah, that was basically the story. I mean, I think there was a, a moment back in 2011 when I'm working in banking, uh, the world had recovered a little bit from the recession and I was wearing a, a suit taking the bus down LaSalle Street in Chicago and I started looking around and I'm like, this is not what I want to be doing for the rest mm. of my life. This is not where I want to spend my time for the next 30 years. And so around that time, also started thinking, okay, what's next? What do I want to do? What am I interested in? And really went through that period of self-reflection and said, like, what am I passionate about? What gets me excited? It wasn't banking. It wasn't helping these giant companies get bigger and, and bigger. I was really interested in how can I help solve problems that I'm having? As I mentioned, interested in technology. That was in the days where Grubhub and Groupon and Braintree here in Chicago uh, were getting some notoriety and some press. And I started thinking, that sounds like a lot of fun. And so it was really through that process, kind of the culmination of my own pain points, also talking with people like my co-founder, Lawrence, about his issues, his experience having managed a three-unit building. And so really through all of that was like, there needs to be an app for landlords like us. That was kind of the aha moment. Also looking at, again, individual DIY landlords like ourselves, who there's about 8 million of them in the US. Mm -hmm. And back then, this is nine years ago, I, I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, you know, by 2030, no one will be managing properties with spreadsheets. Like this will all be done electronically. And so back then nothing existed and said, you know what, it will exist. Let's do it. So mm -hmm. that, was, that was kind of the, the genesis. And then, so I ended up leaving my full-time job, walking away from the six-figure paycheck and then spent the next two or three years actually learning Ruby on Rails. So learned how to write code in order to launch a technology company. Wow. I can just picture you standing there in the suit on the bus, kind of looking around and, and having this epiphany moment. I mean, I think a lot of the listeners can resonate. Can you dig in on that just a little bit further and what you were thinking and then strategically what you did to set yourself up? Because it, it wasn't just like, oh, snap my fingers and the next day I'm going to start a company, right? No, of course not. So I think for me, just to paint the picture a little bit more clearly, it was actually, I think a Friday, that moment, that aha moment of, you know what, banking's not for me. It was a Friday morning in June, had a, a weekend trip planned that weekend to go out to Colorado with a couple of buddies to go hike around the mountains, drink some craft beer. And the prior night, that Thursday night, actually just a few hours before early Friday morning, had gotten a call from one of the directors that I was working with. And she's like, you know what? I know you're not planning to be around the office this weekend, but I've got some bad news. One of our clients needs some work done. The bank will cover all your costs, reimburse you for this trip, but you're going to have to stay in the office this weekend. So sorry. Mm. And so that Friday morning, going back into the office, I just thought to myself, I'm like, this is not how I want to spend my life this is not it. There's got to be, I mean, a better, different path to being happy. And so that, was, that for me was kind of the aha. That was in the summer. 
it took about six months of kind of thinking about, okay, what's next? And really trying to figure out that. I mean, as a former investment banker, you can go into a lot of different things or you can go back to business school. And at that moment, I was kind of trying to weigh all of these different options. And for me, what it came down to was kind of control. And what I realized that I always valued about being an entrepreneur is that sense of control, that sense of being able to control your own destiny. And that's what ultimately led me to decide, you know what, I'm in my late 20s at the time. I am able, fortunately, to take a risk. And so fortunately, was able to kind of go into my boss's office in January, right after the holidays and say, look, this has been great. I've learned a ton, but it's not for me. And I'm ready to move on. And the guy looked at me and he's like, well, I've got to go to a meeting. So let's talk about this on Monday. And so I actually failed at quitting right then on, on the spot. <laughs> oh, no, man. Well, that's thank you for sharing all of that. Because, um, yeah, you di- you definitely painted a deeper picture there because you're right. Like that different way to be happy thing. Like we all sort of go through college and go through high school for that matter, thinking that we want to go make a bunch of money and get an advanced degree or at least get a good job so we can advance and make a bunch of money and blah, blah, blah. But then at some point it hits you that like that happiness moment and you start to weigh the scales of like selling my soul for money versus having control and having some freedom. And now that I've seen this or learned it, I can't unlearn it. And now I have to go figure out a different way. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it's really looking in the mirror and just saying, you know, and, and some people are perfectly happy in a sense, selling their soul. And what they love doing is growing and advancing and that's what makes them happy. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But I think for a lot of people, there's a lot more to life than just collecting a paycheck. And you're right. Like there's different types of people, tons of different types of jobs and companies and pursuits. And that's, and there's just as many, if not more different types of people, but the, there are those who go through that experience and then realize that it's not right for them. And I think that's the biggest key here is it's just not right for you. Yeah, I think that's right. And I know, especially now having built a company, building a team. So we've got 23 people on our team right now. And I really try and spend a lot of time with each person that we bring onto the team and really think about and have this open conversation with them about, you know, you're working as part of this team and we're going to help you learn and grow and develop as an individual and as a professional. But at some point, this is not going to be right for you. This will not be the right place for you long-term. And I'm okay with that. And I want to do whatever I can to be helpful for you. But in exchange, I want you to be comfortable talking to me. And as soon as you recognize that you are thinking about moving on, you can come to me and share that with me and I'll be helpful with you for that. And I think that's that type of servant leadership is something that I know I was missing somewhat back during my career. And I'm fortunate now, I think, to be able to provide that and deliver that to people on our team. That's a really interesting comment that you just made because typically the status quo would argue like you bring someone on your team, you're going to pour into them. It probably takes 
depending on the position in the organization, six, 12 months to really get them humming along. And yep. then maybe a couple of years later, they say that, oh, that I've outgrown the position or I found another opportunity or I'm going to start my own thing. And a lot of people would take that personally or be offended by it. But you're suggesting like from the word go, like, hey, you're going to grow out of this. And whether there's a spot for you here or it's somewhere else, I want to make sure that you have that opportunity. And I imagine it breeds a very different culture inside your organization. Yeah, I think it does. And we've been fortunate. Number one, I think it's worked. So the very first person that we hired back five years ago is still with us today. And mm-hmm. she's incredible and she's advanced and we continue helping her learn and grow and develop. And I think that's what's key is really being able to help someone do that so that they maybe don't need to go get that elsewhere. I think number three hire is also still with us four and a half years later. Like by having that mindset around building and helping people, I think it's really paid off. And I think more companies would benefit from doing it. You know, what's really interesting about that is I'm actually reflecting on my time on the rowing team. Because obviously, as all the audience know, I, I rowed for the Olympic team and performed at a high level. And one thing that I was always struck by was that the organization as a whole, and not, I, I will admit not everyone felt this way, but it, it felt like organizationally, very broadly, they sort of felt that as athletes, we should just be grateful for the opportunity to be there. And what I was seeing and what a lot of the other athletes were seeing was a uh, disconnect in that all of us were you know, type A, hardworking. Actually, all of us went to college and graduated from top universities. Rowing's a prep sport, so you get a lot of Yale and Harvard and all that. And we're like, yo, our, our alternatives are pretty good. <laughs> like, we're, this isn't like the very best thing. Like, the Olympic Games is pretty freaking awesome. But like, we've also got some other opportunities here. And as an organization, I think they took that for granted. And I see that a lot with, with dissatisfaction. It's like when you've got these like killers, these nines and tens, as I call them, and you've got these people who just want to get out there, get after it, develop, grow, you know, take over the world, like they're going to grow and take over the world with or without you. Right. And I think that you just really laid that out there and made that an ethos of your company that's clearly served you quite well. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, everyone on our team, they're, they're capable, they're smart. My job is to just empower them, remove roadblocks, and get out of the way. I'd rather have a a team full of people with a bunch of options career-wise than the alternative. Mm -hmm. So having that team of all-stars is fantastic. And it's really rewarded us. I mean, our, our customers benefit from it. Everyone on the team is bought in. But they're also fully aware that, hey, it's a business and at some point it's not going to be the right fit. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable and confident that I can and move on if I want to. I mean, it's almost like dating someone. It's like Mm -hmm. you don't want them dating you just because they can't date anyone else. Right. But you wake up feeling good every day that they chose to be with you kind of thing. Right. Yeah, man. Totally agree on, on all fronts. Shifting gears a little bit here. We've sort of talked about Avail, talked about your company just a little bit. Can you dig in a little bit further and tell us exactly what the company does? You said that you started it with the goal of serving small landlords, independent landlords, like what you were and what you are. And 
but can you tell us a little bit more about the company and what you've built it to become? Yeah, of course. So you're right. Really built the company, started the company with this goal of helping what we call do-it-yourself landlords. So these are individuals, they're guys and gals like us who are busy full-time professionals. So they're doctors, bankers, real estate agents, lawyers, firefighters, librarians, I mean, anything. But they happen to own rental properties. And they Mm -hmm. do that either to build passive income or to save money for retirement. And these individuals historically have managed their properties in a very archaic offline way with spreadsheets and text messages and paper rent checks and stuff. And so what Avail does is eliminates all of that. It Mm -hmm. brings the management of rental properties online to the cloud. And as the landlord, it gives you all of the tools and the resources and the process that you need into one place. It also, as a result, gives a more professional experience for the renters who are living in your properties. And so today there's about 150,000 DIY do-it-yourself landlords from across the country who use Avail to manage single-family homes, condo units, small multi-unit buildings. And there's about 450,000 renters who are living in those units. So it's really become this community, if you will, of responsible landlords and trustworthy tenants. And that's really what we're trying to do is build and inspire and empower this community. That's really cool, man. And one of the reasons other than just to tell everyone very formally what it is that you're doing is to kind of talk through your, your mission statement, which you did inadvertently there. And I, and I think for the context of this conversation on the show, it's like you've decided to help and serve a group of people. And that happens to be DIY landlords just really high value solving problems directly. And it's what really sort of launched this organization as opposed to let's go find a place where there's a ton of money to be made and let's just (laughs) chase the, chase the dollars around, you know? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Is that something that you uh, think about or or talk about internally as a team or that you think about as a, as a leader and a co-founder of the company? And like, if so, how do you have those conversations so that, you know, you guys are staying true to what it is that you're trying to accomplish as opposed to just making money. Yeah. So we've got four core values. One of those core values is customer centricity. And what that really means to us is keeping the landlord, the renter, kind of at the center of everything that we do and all of Mm -hmm. the decisions that we're making. And if it's talking about building a particular feature into the product, or if it is talking about partnering or um, working with another company. I mean, the first question that we ask by far is, is this the right thing for the customer? And is this the right thing to do? But it also flows through. I mean, the name avail, the word avail is really to help or to benefit. And that's really where we see ourselves as really just this tool, this resource, this Sherpa for these landlords and their renters. I think especially for this audience and for the the community of landlords that we've built, by far they're not these real estate agents, real estate brokers out there who are also familiar and very well versed in real estate. These are guys like my buddy Elliot. He's a hog trader. He works on the Chicago Futures Exchange 
trading hog futures. I mean, he doesn't know the first thing about being a landlord. Oh, wow. Um, so I think for him, and he's a customer, he's a user of our product. It's like our product puts some of that process and structure around his part-time side hustle. And so that's really where we view ourselves. That's awesome. And I love the way you've sort of structured the conversation and the, and the words that you use, because I think it's so important to like hear that in a real practical application, whether, you know, someone listening to this is thinking about starting their own thing or has started their own thing, you know, those kinds of business conversations and that thought process is just absolutely critical, whether you go start your own little independent CPA firm because you're going to go out, break away after tax season and do your own thing, or you're going to actually start a bigger company. Like having that conversation, bring value to the client, what's good for them is where it all starts. Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, I've actually been talking with several entrepreneurs recently about this, and you really have to spend a lot of time up front thinking about why you exist and like not surface level to make money, but why does the company truly, truly exist and what do you value as an organization? And I think this is kind of getting a little bit off topic, but it even gets into things like branding. And I think so many people... Um, again, think about branding as just the name and the colors. And it's so much deeper than that. And you've got to really develop the meaning. Why does a company exist? What's its purpose? What's its value and stuff? And those are really tough conversations to have in a sense that it really makes you think about those things that maybe aren't as sexy or as glamorous to talk about as like naming and colors and stuff. Right. Well, it's, I'm struck by the the comment that like all things being equal, people would do business with people that they like and they know and they trust and all things not being equal, people like doing business with people they like, know and trust. It's like <laughs> when I know that you're more than just a dollar sign in my bank account, that you have a core and an ethos and a value and that you're going to do the right thing and that you really strive to provide me with the highest service, like I'm way more likely to stick with you and to like hire you or whatever the case is, as opposed to like, like my business, it's commission. Everyone's like, what, what, what's your commission rate is like one of the first questions they ask. (laughs) It's like, yeah, okay. That's part of the conversation. But like, what do you get for the commission rate? You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like basically going deeper. Like what are you actually going to do to earn it? And same thing with you, with your subscriptions and your fees and, and whatever, however you charge your, your people. It's like going beyond just that transactional relationship and trying to build a soul is hard, but definitely worth it. Especially if you do it in the beginning. Yeah. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, price is one of the things that people ask first, but, but you're right. It's all about what's that price to value trade-off. That's mm-hmm. what really matters. And even something that's more expensive, whether it's a commission rate or a subscription fee or something, even if it's more, that may well be by far the best choice. That could be well, well worth it if you're getting outsized value for it. Right. Absolutely. You know, you, you talked about branding, you talked about, you know, finding your core pillars, you know, we're now recording this on April 20th in the COVID age, like obviously business and life in general has been turned completely upside down. What are you guys doing right now to continue to, to bring your messaging out to the world, um, especially in a time when, you know, real estate is a little tumultuous. The government has told people in a lot of states that they don't have to pay rent for a little while. 
same thing with mortgages, like there's stay on foreclosures in a lot of states. Like how is that affecting your guys' business and, and what are you guys doing to continue to keep the wheels moving? Yeah, I think for us, first and foremost, we made sure that we took care of our team. So back on March 12th, we were very early in Chicago for encouraging everyone on our team to work remotely, work from home, stay safe, stay at home. Once we got our team settled and everyone's up and running with all their equipment and stuff, then it was, okay, let's quickly transition. How do we help our customers? And so number one, for us, it was just all about gathering information. So we did a ton of research. We created a lot of content around what landlords and real estate investors should be thinking about amidst the COVID crisis. So we published a really lengthy article pretty early on that. And then we said, okay, let's go out and do a survey. Let's conduct a survey of our landlords and our tenants. Mm -hmm. Uh, We sent out that survey on a Monday morning and within 48 hours, we had more than 10,000 people responded to our survey. So it was the largest data set of information that had been collected from landlords and tenants. We then, over the next few days, took that all of that really rich data, both the quantitative and the qualitative. And what we understood from that was, number one, huge lack of information. People just mm-hmm. weren't sure what the crisis meant for them. They weren't sure what those regulations were in, in their city or in their state. So we continued going down the path of providing and delivering information. Number two, the second thing that we found out of that survey is there's an overall lack of communication. So I don't know about you, but I pretty early went to my tenants and said, look, if you're not receiving a paycheck, let's work together to find a solution that works. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, I still have a mortgage to pay, mm-hmm. but I want to work with you. Like You're not the enemy. The virus is the enemy. And so let's find a solution that works. And so that was kind of number two finding is all around communication. So we then took everything that we found, we packaged it up, we shared it with a number of the major media outlets. Just again, we're not getting benefit from this. We just want to be there to help and to benefit and and share and spread the knowledge. I think that's really critical at this time is just making sure that people are aware and understand what their options are. Completely. I love that you you went into the direction of helping through content and and just got out there, took a time to talk to the people via a survey in this case, but um, really just thought like, what can we do? Well, let's ask them what we can do. <laughs> and it, like I did something similar with some of my past real estate clients of like, if I'm going to be valuable going forward, I need to know what was valuable in the past and what wasn't. Yeah. And, and basically had used that to retool a lot of the language on my website, you know, build a lot of the content I'm putting onto YouTube. Um, obviously, you know, some of the in print or the posts, same thing. It's like, what is valuable? And I'm finding it's information processes and something for people to kind of hang on to because the ambiguity of the situation has made everybody totally scared and freaked out. Whereas if you can give them something more concrete to hold on to, I found that that at least in my business so far, and it sounds like yours as well, has been super, super helpful. Yeah, I think uncertainty breeds fear. Um, and so anything that we can do, both of us to help 
uh, kind of remove uncertainty to make people a little more calm. I think that's going to be one of the major ways that we get through this. Yeah. And for you guys who are listening, but you're like, Hey, I don't have like a business or I'm just getting started or, you know, I'm, I work for a major company, but I'm thinking about starting something after this because of the uncertainty. So like, how does this apply to me? An example that comes to mind is like you could continue to create content around what makes you human in this moment. And by an example of that is like, you could get onto your personal Facebook page, say, Hey, I'm, I've been really struggling with, you know, my routine and feeling normal and really feeling motivated. So here's what I've done about it. And, you know, I've basically just committed to doing three things a day or what, you know, whatever. For me, it was a power list. Like I created a power list that um, I fill out every day and I just check those three things off. And as long as I get that done, I, I feel good for the day. You know, for you, it could be something totally different, but like sharing that story, putting out some content around what's, what's authentically you is going to get the resonance and get the feedback. And then that might take you in another direction. And you might realize there's an opportunity to create a business or a service around something else that you never even thought of. Yeah. I think it's really critical. Um, to your point and just to be talking with people and understand their needs, um, get out there, get the feedback, get insights, learn what people are struggling with, learn what their challenges are. And really through that, you'll uncover so much. Absolutely. Ryan, this has been awesome. I want to respect the rest of your time uh, today. So I want to go ahead and transition us to the focus five, which is the same (laughs) five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? I am. Cool, man. What book have you gifted most often? Uh, Number one book by far is Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea. Uh, it's the story about the how they built the culture at Zappos uh, to really be customer first, customer centric. Um, love that book. Awesome. That's that's on my table. It's on my reading list. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, the audiobook version of that is excellent too. It's narrated by Tony. So I think those types of books are always fascinating when it's actually the person kind of going through it narrates it. Yeah. Agreed. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Uh, this one, I would probably go Al Michaels. I think that he's covered so many historic uh, sporting events, everything from the 1980 Olympics, uh, kind of U.S. versus Russia hockey to, I mean, everything through through the 90s with the NBA with the Bulls to I mean just everything that that guy's seen I think he'd be a fascinating person to talk with that's a great answer and the first so far I think I think you're the first to say Al Michaels (laughs) very cool what is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on yeah somewhat unpopular opinion um I believe that home ownership is not the perfect answer for everyone. Um, I think there's a lot of people very young in their careers where, you know, they just get out of, out of college and they're like, I got to buy a home and I've got to whatever. And I think for a lot of people um, that can be somewhat of a trap. Um, Now I'm going through the process of actually buying my first home. Now I got married last year. Um, I think home ownership is great for a ton of people, but I think when you're young and uncertain in your career and you may want to move and experience different cities, 
um, renting is a perfectly good option for some people. Yeah, man. I rent my primary residence and I own rentals uh, as well. So I buy out of the market that I live in. And I was just thinking about this because I check prices regularly. Like what I can pay in my rent, like there's nothing I could buy that's even remotely close, even if I could buy it um, for the same price. And so just from like an outlay, like I live in a very expensive market. You have to obviously determine what that looks like for you, but there are there are ways to do the home ownership thing uh, well, and there are ways to to put basically put handcuffs on yourself with it. Yeah, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you start your day? Yeah, so I think for me, and it's become even more important amidst the coronavirus, COVID nineteen stuff, to maintain a good healthy routine. So first thing I do in the morning. I like to kind of be aware of what's going on in the world. So I'll spend maybe 30 minutes, an hour, um, kind of reading the day's news, going through the Wall Street Journal website, uh, reading the New York Times site, uh, Chicago Tribune, just trying to get caught up, make sure I'm kind of fluent in what's going on. Um, And then it's all about kind of diving in, helping um, kind of our team, make sure that everyone is... um, kind of aligned, making sure that they know what's going on, uh, full communication. I try and remove any roadblocks. Only then, after I've tried to kind of help everyone on our team when possible, then do I jump into my list. Awesome. Ryan, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you being on the show today. What is the best place online that we can connect with you? Yeah, so I'm on all the social media um, at Ryan Kuhn or um, our company is out there on all the social media at HelloAvail or Avail.co. Hello Avail or Avail.co and then Ryan Kuhn, social media all down in the show notes, guys. So it's really easy to find. You can check him out there. Um, and Ryan, man, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate all the value you brought and, uh, really looking forward to what's next for you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully the world returns to normal soon and, uh, yeah, (laughs) stay safe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stay safe. Thanks for being on. Thank you. And that's it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Ryan. If you want to connect with him, I've got his Twitter as well as his LinkedIn down in the show notes and uh, links to Avail's website. If you're a DIY landlord, go check them out over there. I've got my Calendly link as well as my social profiles down in the show notes as well. So you can connect with me one-on-one or via social. So thank you to all of you guys who've connected, who've reached out who have had one-on-one calls with me. I've really enjoyed getting to know you. And for the rest of you who are thinking about it, really looking forward to getting to know you guys as well. So without any further ado, we're going to sign it off for today. So this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.